I love your book. I've been oh, rinsing out your blog for as long as I can remember uh, to find out about you know, like monsters and other types of creatures for my research. And I just thought we could just have a chat about some of those, you know, some of those things today. But perhaps we could just start with you know, how you came to be there uh, in okay. this area and you know, what, what uh, attracted you to this type of research. Yeah, okay, great. I, 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 <laughs> actually, it all began when I was a child because I, I'm a native Argentine. I'm born and bred. I live in Buenos Aires City. And um, we, we used to go on holidays to Patagonia. We used to go on camping trips when I was a child. I was about 11 years old. And we go camping there. And it was my first encounter with mountains and forests and lakes because Buenos Aires is in the Pampas. It's all a flat area, no mountains, no forests, just grasslands full of cows. And it was quite a surprise when I saw what the forests were. And then I started reading about it. You know, I was, I was only 11, but I, uh, I thought, well, what, what is about, what's about Patagonia? I mean, we used to go trout fishing because the lakes are full of trout. And I thought, uh, there's not many animals in these forests because actually they aren't. You don't see anything. You see some birds. And mm -hmm. perhaps if you're lucky, you'll see an otter every now and then. And, uh, I saw an article in a newspaper, in a daily paper in Buenos Aires, uh, called La Prensa, and they published uh, an article about this plesiosaur in Patagonia. A plesiosaur? I mean, I was 11, but I knew the dinosaurs that died out years yeah. ago. So I read the article, I said, what, what's this? I mean, this is so such a, I mean, it can't be true. Uh, but, it, you know, it, 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 it woke me up, uh, it arose my interest. And another thing that happened was that my, how would it be my grand, my great, uh, my great aunt, my great aunt, she lives in a, in, she lived, she passed away a long time ago. She lived in a ranch in the south of Buenos Aires province. And she told me this story about uh, a piece of hide, a piece of furry skin and dung that had been found in a cave in Patagonia. This mm. was in 1970. A dung, dung from a from a prehistoric animal. That that was quite surprising. So I I started to read about these things, and then I read Chatwin's in Patagonia, which is a great story, mm -hmm. and he brings up all these subjects one time and time again. You know the the unicorn and the and the Mylodon cave, and I thought, well, this is interesting. So I just and then there's a lot of. of of fairy tales in the newspapers mm. and on the internet and you read about them and I thought oh so much uh, no facts and a lot of and a lot of this is like UFO oh, well, now they're not called UFO the UAPs uh, no substance to this I mean uh, somebody sees a ripple in a lake and they imagine they're seeing a, a monster I mean let's try to look at the facts and well the, the outcome of all that was reading a lot researching and my book <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, it, it's, it was very interesting to me because, of course, being British and being uh, located here, most of the late monster stories that we get are, of course, related to Loch Ness and other places in the UK and in the United States, you know, particularly um, American and some Canadian stories. And it's strange. And I think it must be because of the, the, um, the language barrier that these stories from South America, Central America, and other places, they just don't get out. They don't reach here. And it's strange yeah. to me, especially now in this global world that we're in, 
why is it that we can't just i mean if i'm on your your blog i can easily hit translate if i want to read it in spanish again and and switch it back or german whatever i, I want to read it in it's a, you know it's available so why don't we do that and then i started looking at your blog i thought wow okay this is an unexplored territory this is one man in this place exploring all of these legends and who's there with him and of course you know there was there was the past part of that with um, people like Onelli and others looking for the places so and I thought maybe we'd start with that let's let's talk about Nahuelito and okay. um the, the the history of that and and where where we've come to now in, in its story okay well um Nahuelito itself is a is a very let's say it has its roots in a Mapuche uh, myth mm. the Mapuches have a, a lake creature which is called El Cuero, the hide, uh-huh. which resembles a manta ray with claws along its edges. And it appears in their, in their legends and myths across northern Patagonia. The Mapuches lived in what is northern Patagonia in Chile and, and northern Patagonia in Argentina, on both mm-hmm. sides of the Andes. Now, where this myth came from, I don't know, because in fact, there are no manta rays, uh, uh, I mean, in the rivers and lakes in Patagonia. You will find rays in the Paraná River, in the Amazon River, further north in temperate and tropical South America, but not in Patagonia. However, I found some reports that haven't managed to actually substantiate in in literature that there are some rays that live in the Patagonian rivers. Now, probably the the Mapuches saw some manta ray on the shore on the coast of the Pacific Ocean in Chile, and this brought up this legend, and they could built up on it, and they expected to have these strange creatures in the in the in the lakes in in southern Patagonia. Now, uh, Nahuelito itself is supposed to be uh, some unknown lake monster that lives in Lake Nahuelhuapi. Now, Lake Nahuelhuapi is quite large; it's 550 square kilometers. Uh, it's about 120 kilometers, about 80 miles long, and about five miles wide at its widest point. Uh, there's only one big city on it, Bariloche, with 100,000 inhabitants. And it's inside a national park, actually two national parks. Uh, so it's it's a well-protected environment. But the, I mean, I've fished in that lake for countless hours. We used to go fishing trolling with my, my father. We'd get into the boat and go fishing wow. all over the lake, in different parts of the lake. I've trekked the mountains around it. I've stood on the beaches. I've spent hours when I was a, I, you know, in my early twenties in some, during my summer holidays, uh, reading books on, on the beaches there. And I only saw one thing in all these, I'd say 40, not 50 years of being in Patagonia. One thing that drew my attention, I was up, up above a mountain and I saw like a mm. little wake on a crystal clear lake. I thought, what the heck is that? Uh, there must be some logical explanation. There's no boat. It's not the wake of any boat. It looks like there's something moving across, but I mean, I was at such a distance. It could have been anything. It could have been a bird. I mean, the lake was mm. so calm. Now, other people, well, they see all sorts of creatures in the lake. But um, the question is, if there is an animal living in, in the lake in Patago- in Nahuelhuapi, uh, what does it eat? Mm. I mean, you could eat the trout, this trout in the lake. Okay. Uh, but let's go back to ni- the early 20s or the early 1900s. The trout weren't in the lake at that time because they were brought from the States or from Europe specifically uh-huh. to, to promote fishing. There's no native trout in South America. Like in New Zealand, there are trout either. They were placed there uh, deliberately to promote tourism and fishing. And the local species are basically were basically eaten up by the trout. The trout pred- uh, predators, and they preyed on the local epuyen and on the local silversides. 
and wiped them out. It's very, very rare to find one of these na native species. And actually, this also altered the, the food chain because the uh -huh. local Patagonian otter ate these fish. And now it has to specialize in hunting or catching uh, trout. And trout are faster, they're quicker, they're bigger. So that also put the, the, the otter, the nutria, as they call it here, in, in the endangered species list. Wow. So what sort of uh, monster could live in the lake? So I, I, I spoke to a local and, and asked him, well, have you heard about this? He's also interested in the cryptozoological matters. And he said, look, it's probably a, a, not a, a carnivorous animal. It probably hmm. it's a grazer. It eats the grass on, that grows on the shore. I, well, that sounds interesting. And uh, that sort of gave it a new focus because one always imagines these lake monsters as eating fish, you know? Mm -hmm. preying on the local fish but if it would be an animal that would come out of the water like a hippopotamus for instance that eats grass or or a tapir which is what i put forth in my book as a, as a probable animal uh, -huh. uh it's um that would be more logical now there's been reported sightings of this animal but they start all modern historic sightings in the in the lake start in the 1920s more mm -hmm. or less contemporary with the plesiosaur before that, if you go bef even before uh, Argentina occupied Patagonia in a military with a military expedition in the uh -huh. 1880s, if you go to, to the 1870s or even before that, there are some chronicles written by um, missionaries and by a Chilean explorer called Cox. They don't report any animals at all. Uh -huh. They don't. I mean, they they canoed, they paddled across the lake in canoes. Uh, they explored the area, even Moreno, Perito Moreno, who's uh, one of the first explorers of the northern Patagonia in the 1870s. He didn't record either any, any lake monster. He recorded wow. the, the myths about uh, cave-dwelling beings, you know, but no lake monster. So I think that Nahuelito was influenced by the plesiosaur of Epuyen Lake. Aha. Uh -huh. Ah, uh, okay. Because, and then that's one of the confusing things, I think, for outsiders. We often think of uh, Lagunawa Huapi as, as the primary area where the plesiosaur legend came from. But as you said, it's more to do with the El Cuero. And yeah. the, the plesiosaur legend comes from different parts of the region. So can you tell us a little bit about other lake monsters in the region that do, that do tend to have more of a plesiosaur-like appearance? Okay, um, the, the plesiosaur itself came from a little, actually, I wouldn't even call it a lake, it's a pond. Mm -hmm. It's probably 200 yards by 200 yards, that's what it is. It's a tiny yeah. pond oh, wow. that's, that's, that's sometimes flooded by a river which flows next to it called Epuyen. Uh -huh. uh, Epuyen, by the way, is the name of a local fish in Patagonia. Uh -huh. And this, this comes from Lake Epuyen. It runs in a in a in a in a circle in a, in, a, in a great curve and ends up in the pacific ocean so the Apuyen okay. river despite being on the andes uh, it it crosses the andes through a deep cut and goes into the pacific ocean so uh, -huh. uh here's where the plesiosaur was seen by this mr martin sheffield in the 1920s now sheffield was a he, he was an american mm -hmm. he was a cowboy he came to argentina in the early i'd say in the late 1800s early 1900s uh, he looked for gold. He was a gold panner. Uh, and he set up his little shack there with his family beside this river. 
And he was always there panning gold in the little different rivers around the area. This is in the, at the edge of the Patagonian forest, about, uh, I'd say, 100 miles south of Lake Nahuel Wapi. Ah. Okay, to, to get you for, for more or less where it is. And he had worked with Oneli during the boundary uh, conflict with Chile. Both countries had set up uh, groups which went measuring, you know, uh, okay. sort of surveying the border mm. and setting up uh, exactly where all the features, the mountains, the rivers, the lakes were. And he worked as a local guide for Oneli. So that's where Oneli and Sheffield became acquainted. Got it. Okay. So Oneli, he, he traveled all across Patagonia and and he also promoted the plesiosaur legend. And it was, in fact, Martin Sheffield who wrote to Oneli, who at that time was uh, the head of the Buenos Aires Zoo, saying, mm -hmm. look, I've seen this strange creature. It looks like a plesiosaur. Okay, that's what he said. So Oneli in 1922, this is 20 years after they'd been working together on the border, he's, uh, he set up an expedition to go and find and catch this plesiosaur. Now, oh, at the same time, now, Wilwapi National Park was being created. So perhaps there was some sort of uh, effort to promote the Nawilwapi okay. National Park at the same time. The fact is that um, they went there and they interviewed on Eli and they couldn't interview Martin Sheffield because he was somewhere in the mountains and uh. they couldn't find him, but they interviewed his family. Now, uh, Martin Sheffield's daughter, Many years later, when she was a very old lady in the, I'd say in the 1990s, so this was 70 years later, she was an old lady, she recalled what had happened when she was a child. And she said that she saw the creature also, but it wasn't ah. like a plesiosaur. And in the book I describe it, it was like a short-legged, furry creature mm -hmm. that they saw it take, you know, lying in the sun on the, on the shore of the of Epuyen River. Uh -huh. And that it passed near a cow, uh, a carcass of a cow, and didn't try to eat it. So she guessed that it wasn't a carnivore. And that it was in the river with fish bubbling around it. Probably it was trying to eat some fish, or probably it was just swimming in the river. But her description is quite clear. She mentions the word belicito, which is like, you know, a bit of hair. Uh -huh. So she saw a furry creature. Now that opens up a whole world of mm. possibilities. This isn't a reptile. This is probably, it's a mammal, surely. It could be a, it could be what? Platypus, for instance. I mean, why not? It could be anything. It could be any water, aquatic creature, a large otter. There are large otters in the Amazon. Uh -huh. oh. So that's the story of the Plesiosaurian, very shortly, very briefly. Well, I, I think it's it's really fascinating. And, and trying to research this myself, even with your wonderful blog, it really does jump around quite a lot. Now, you know, of course, uh, people mention the influence of Arthur Conan Doyle's the Lost World yes. on the world yes. on the you know international scene at that time, and that definitely would yes. have reached Argentina and Patagonia. Yeah, and you know, of course that's cited for the the um, the alleged places or like appearance of Nessie very often. But yeah. to me, you know, looking at your blog, this area seems to it really seems to harbour a whole range of. Um, unusual looking creatures and it doesn't surprise me especially with some of these lakes having an outlet to the sea or at least to river systems that connect with the sea that they could be large unidentified creatures now recently there was uh, there was alleged footage of the Culebron in Branco Lake I don't know if you saw that online um, and there were two bits of footage one in one of the rivers um, I forget what the river is called now connecting it to the sea where you know a very sort of I suppose serpentine thick creature with a head sticking out of the water was seen 
turning and heading down the river and another one in the middle of the lake. And that got a lot of people interested in that, that legend again. But, you know, as expected, and something that really surprised me was it turned out to be a sea lion that entered. Ah, yes, yes, mm. exactly, yeah. Mm. Um, now, I, I just wondered about that possibility, you know, are there connecting river systems between these lakes in Patagonia and the sea that an adventurous sea lion you know, could could enter and perhaps, you know, get lost and um, give a few, you know, a few unsuspecting witnesses a monstrous uh, appearance from time to time. I, I quite agree with you there. Yes, actually, if you if you look at all the all the if you read the legends of each place, each lake in Patagonia has its creature. Mm-hmm. Some are similar, others are different, but they all have some sort of a monster. Many are described as cattle, cows, or bulls, or horses. Mm-hmm. But the the seal or the sea lion or the uh, whatever type of, of, of a sea creature you could imagine is a feasible possibility, yes. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the creatures that were mentioned in the late 1800s by the explorers, you have, or in the, even, yeah, well, it started in 1870 with Musters. Musters reported uh, a, a creature uh, the, the, um, living in, in, in one of the rivers called the River Sengel. Uh, he was the first to report it. Then Onelli reported uh, several lake creatures. Um, Amegino reported the Yemish. Uh, all these ah, are yes. mammal. Yeah, they're all they're all mammals, though. You know, they have claws and teeth, and they prey on animals. They, they they're like tigers, the water tiger. I mean, those descriptions they don't exactly coincide. With, you'd imagine a seal to be mm. a seal is more in line with the culebron, for instance, which is uh-huh. snake-like. Uh, but um, yes, the, the rivers in Patagonia to get an idea of the, of the geography. The Andean mountains run north to south. Uh-huh. There's 100 kilometers to the coast of the Pacific Ocean on the west and about 300 kilometers, 200 miles, oh, wow. okay. to the Atlantic Ocean on the east. On the west, forests, deep forests. It rains uh, four meters. That would be like uh, 11 feet every year there. It's wow. very rainy, very wet. And the rivers are short and they run from the mountains to the Pacific. But as the glaciations of the last ice age cut across the Andes, some of the lakes that are on the eastern side, uh-huh. uh, the moraines, the terminal moraines of the glaciers blocked their, their uh, Atlantic shed and they, and they curve and go into the Pacific. So uh, many lakes in Patagonia are easily accessible, about less than 200 miles upstream, you can get to, the, to these lakes. Others, on the other hand, have a long straight course across the steep, there's, there's nothing there. It's, shrubs it's dry mm. they don't have any source of water other than the lakes and the snow melt in the mountains so you have all these rivers the N- rio Col- the colorado which is a red river the rio negro which is a black river the chubut river uh Senger is an affluent of the chubut river santa cruz river all these rivers go into the atlantic ocean now uh yes there's, possi- there's a possibility i think i mentioned in my book of a, of a freshwater seal even like you have in asia yeah. that there's a mm. freshwater seal and a similarity in the name of, of an animal, which is like a, a sea elephant and, and a local uh-huh. name for this creature. So it, it, it is possible. It is possible because if you look at the culebron, the culebron is more associated with a snake. Mm-hmm. A snake is, uh, they have a lot of myths with snakes, the Mapuche Indians. They have the feathered snake, the flying snake. They have all sorts of creatures associated with snakes. So you could also imagine that these come from, remember that, all these native people mm-hmm. in South America, they came from 
bearing across the strait through North America, Central America, and then south into South America, perhaps in the Amazonian area where you have anacondas and large snakes ah. also, some myths like this could have originated. You also see them in Peru. Uh, so uh, they probably it's That's a probably shared heritage of the South American natives. Uh, it's hard to say. What, what kind of um, problems do you run into with your research when um, trying to dig beneath a, a, a coverall catchphrase or name that's given to something? You've mentioned this once or twice. And when I, I was studying the Yeti, I noticed that, uh, and other creatures besides, there are often, there's often one name that's given to all large creatures in an area. What, what kind of trouble do you have sort of picking out the details that are surrounding these? You know, and, and of course, archaic peoples or even peoples who are unused, uh, unused to certain types of animals will use something from their mental library. So you have a water bull, a water horse, etc. How do you, how do you pick through those, um, superstitious and colloquial coverall catch-all terms to find the decrypted underneath uh, what, what techniques uh, do you okay use? well it's, as, you, as you say it's not an easy task mm. um the, the point the, the the difficult part here is that most of the uh, south america south of the patagonian native people uh they lost their their lifestyle and they were incorporated to the western mainstream civilization in the early 1900s so they lost their language. There used to be uh, the Tehuelche people mostly and the people in, in Tierra del Fuego Island. They used to be uh, nomads. They had their tents and they moved around on horseback, set up, pitched up camp in different places and lived like that until this was incorporated in, into, into Argentina. Mm -hmm. And they became, you know, like they worked on the ranches. They lost their culture. They lost their language and they lost most of the traditions. Yeah. And most of them fell, you know, they died because they had never been in contact with uh, Western diseases like measles, the flu, uh, tuberculosis. I mean, they died. It, but by the thousands, the Selknam people in Patagonia, in Tierra del Fuego Island, they were shot by the ranchers, the sheep, the sheep, wow. the sheep farms. They had them, they hunted them to death. And the Yagans and, or Yamana people that lived on the, on the, in southern Tierra del Fuego, mm -hmm. they were also wiped out by disease. So the only uh, records that we have of their beliefs and the names that they gave the creatures are the ones that were picked up in these last okay. days of these people by missionaries mainly in Tierra del Fuego and Southern Patagonia. Mm -hmm. The Catholic Church moved in and said, oh, we're going to protect these people. We're going to bring them into these uh, small communities where it was worse because they dressed them in Western clothes, put them all together and they all died of TB. That's what mm -hmm. happened. And a few records of, of local people like Bridges in Tierra del Fuego, who he lived with them, he knew their culture and their history, uh -huh. and they recorded the names of these creatures. So there you have a more or less phonetic name of these creatures and a description of them. So that also helps. And then you have, well, all these explorers that came across Patagonia when the uh -huh. hide, when the fur was found in Mylodon Cave, uh, Pritchard came from, from the UK and he traveled all along Patagonia. He didn't find anything, but he recorded many of these stories. Even Musters, he recorded the, 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 some of these legends and stories. But it's very difficult to, to go any deeper than that because there's no written records. Okay. There was a, a historian, he died a few years ago, Casamiquela. Casamiquela uh, 
He's not very loved by the Mapuche people because his position about the Mapuche is that they are not native to Argentina's Patagonia, but to Chile. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and, that the, and that the natives in, in Patagonia were the Tehuelche people. Uh-huh. And he studied them in depth. Uh, okay. He interviewed many old people who had memories from the childhood. And he recorded all these stories. And he pieced together many of the myths uh, regarding Elengasin uh, and uh, Yemish and this sort of preacher in in his records so you have to go there uh, and there's not much more than that because nowadays Patagonia is not what it used to be a hundred years ago well I was wondering about that actually also the, the cultural makeup of the, the the composition of that area is it mostly now you know, the the descendants of Europeans and some others or is there a remnant of the Mapuche and uh, uh, the, the other people, sorry, I can't quite pronounce it, the second name. Tewelche. <laughs> sorry, Tewelche. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to butcher that name. Um, is there a remnant of those people living on, or are they so mixed with the, 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 the hodgepodge of Patagonian culture? And I understand there's some Welsh people there. I, I grew up in Wales. Yes, definitely, there's a, yes. There's a Welsh-speaking community too. Um, yes. What is the composition like? Are, are communities still very separate, or is everybody kind of mixed together? Everybody's mixed together. Argentina is uh-huh. a melting pot. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, migrants came from. Look at me. I'm. I, I, my my family came from the UK uh-huh. uh, in in the 1880s. So wow, it's a long time ago. Argentina is a real melting pot. People came from all over the world, mainly from Spain and Italy. Mm-hmm. But there's Germans, French, Russians, Chinese, whatever, all in Argentina. Now the local uh, Native Americans. The, the Argentine, yeah. the well, Indians, of, okay. of, 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 the, they have lived in Argentina for oh, 20,000 years or 15,000 years. Um, <clears throat> in the northern part of Argentina, the Spaniards, when they conquered this area and mm-hmm. set up <clears throat> their empire, they used the natives to work in the mines, to grow, to work in the fields. They had a sort of enslaved system. It was, it was I would say, indentured, indentured. or like serfs. Mm-hmm. They had different names for this. And those that didn't die, because I'd say about 90% of the local, of the all Native wow. Americans in all America died mm-hmm. due to diseases brought by the Europeans in mm-hmm. the 1500s. But those that survived, they're, they're here. You see any average Argentine, uh, despite what you may read on the internet, everybody has a bit, a little touch of Native American blood. Now, uh-huh. when you go to Patagonia, that's a different story because Patagonia was of no use to the Spaniards. It had no no Indians that lived in the Indians, as they called them, of course. Uh-huh. The local Native Americans didn't live in, in settlements. They didn't cultivate the land. They didn't farm. They didn't have mines. So every time the Spaniards, the Spanish went down the coast of Patagonia, there was nothing for them to do. They, they, there was no resources to exploit. Uh-huh. They got to Pat- they got to Tierra del Fuego. It was a bleak, rainy island. Nothing there to interest them. All the southern coast of Chile, the similar situation. And they only stayed in Chiloé Island because, and this is an interesting point, uh-huh. when they conquered Chile, the Mapuche offered a lot of resistance. And they fought against the Spaniards until they managed to establish... Uh, well, they fought against the Spaniards and lost. So the Spaniards pushed them into Chiloé. Uh-huh. And the Spaniards occupied what is now the area of the lakes, Los Lagos in mm-hmm. southern Chile, where Puerto Montt, Osorno, all these lakes that are usually mentioned with monsters are there. But the, after about 40 years, the Mapuche regrouped and destroyed all these settlements and pushed the Spaniards north of the Bio Bio River. Wow. So in the, in the late 1500s, 1590s, 
they recovered their land there and they settled there. And at the same time, when the Spaniards are occupied, that, that's when they, the Mapuche natives crossed the Andes into what is now Neuquén province in Argentina. Ah, okay. And they established themselves there. Now, the Tehuelche people that lived in, in Patagonia, they, as I said, they were nomads. And they had a very uh, difficult language to communicate effectively. Mm -hmm. The Mapuche language, apparently, I mean, I don't, I don't speak it. The Mapuche language is like, uh, like Latin was in, in Europe in, in oh, okay. the time of the Romans, okay. or like English is nowadays. It uh -huh. was a lingua franca. Everybody okay. understood it, and they used it to trade with other tribes. So it spread all across Patagonia. In fact, in fact, the word Tehuelche is a Mapuche word. It calls their neighbors the coarse men, you know, tough men, coarse men. That's the way they named the Patagonian guys. Uh -huh. And uh, the Puelche natives that lived in what is now Buenos Aires province were called Puel East Che people, people of the East. So okay. the, the, all, the, the Mapuche language prevails in this part, of, but they're not, uh, they're not originary from Patagonia. They came from Chile. Now, by the way, the Mapuche live in houses built with stones and thatched roofs, and they farmed, uh, they grew potatoes and different crops, and they also domesticated the llama, you know, the, the, the South American. Wow, okay. Yeah, they used to, they used to, and they also worked metals. So the Mapuche were very civilized people mm -hmm. in comparison to the other guys who were stone okay. age. There's a difference. Now, going back to that, when, when Patagonia was occupied military, both in Chile and in Argentina in the 1870s, this means both countries advanced on the Mapuche because they were the Mapuches also raided cattle in one part and sold it elsewhere. Okay. They were rustlers, you know, mm -hmm. and this this couldn't go on for long. So in the end, they were the land was occupied. It was taken up, and the Mapuche was sort of placed in reservations or left where they were, and they had to work as laborers in the in the in the in the ranches. And they absorbed. They kept some of their of their culture, you know. But uh, they became like all the rest of Argentina or in Chile as Chileans, uh, they were in, as, assimilated into the into the Western culture. So they lost most of their culture. Now there's a there's a how would you say there's a new uh, period in Chile where they're becoming militant and they're burning. You know, there's a, there's a they're trying to recover the national identity. Cultural revival. Yes, exactly. That's a good. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly mm -hmm. what's going on. Mm -hmm. There's some extremists, but I mean it's. It's a, it's, a, it's a good cause. And, in, and since the 18, 1970s onwards, they've been gaining more recognition in, in Argentina also. They've been given back some of their uh, national heritage lands and that. So it, it's, it's positive. And their language is taught at some schools in the, in the area where they live. So there's a revival of their culture, of the Mapuche. But the rest it's, were liquidated. Mm, I mean, it's that the end part is a very positive story not the, the bit before but it, it reminds me so much in some ways of course uh, from the language perspective and cultural perspective of Wales. you know they had this revival in the last 30 40 years where i i, I was never taught welsh in high school or even the, the formative school but all of my nieces and nephews have had to do it from day one you know living in the capital city as well where it wasn't very common it's it's strange to see this culture come back into a main place and perhaps that can happen for the the Mapuche as well. Yeah, that would be that would be wonderful. I do have I know there's not just there's not only lake monsters in Patagonia and your book speaks about all kinds of creatures, but I was very curious about something called the uh Napalquapi pterosaur and other large birds like terror birds and other strange mystery mysterious flying creatures. What what can you tell us about those? Okay. Well um it, there must be some substance to this in in 
a reality, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, some, uh, during, let's, uh, let's say, until about three million years ago, South America was isolated from, from North America. Mm -hmm. And at that time, some birds grew to very large size, well, like you have with the uh, moa in New Zealand, okay? Birds become large and they become the, the prevailing predator in, in the territory. So these birds were larger than a man and they had these beaks. You could imagine, a, what's it called? A cassowary. Cassowary, oh gosh. Yes, yeah. okay. So you can, <laughs> if you look at yeah. a cassowary now, it's such a dangerous creature. You'd say a bird oh, is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so imagine a thing that's like, uh, nine feet tall. Wow. So these these preyed upon the local mammals and their remains were found in Patagonia. Mm -hmm. So it is very probable that like uh, the legends of the Thunderbird in uh, mm -hmm. North America, the native people concocted some sort of myth out of these uh, birds. Um, in general, uh, birds are not uh, a very strong uh, legendary creature in, in Patagonia, but yes, you do find them. You do find them. Mostly, mostly, mostly the, the, the dangerous creatures are, or they live in caves, or they live in the forest, or they live in the water <laughs> as, as, as aquatic creatures. But yes, birds are also uh, have this mystique, and uh, it probably has to do with finding fossils, uh, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. They came across this remains of a bird, and they what's this? And they had to find some explanation. Regarding the other megafaunal creatures, I have no doubt that they met them in person. The Paleo-Indians were hunting gigantic glyptodons and hunting uh, yeah. ba cave bears and hunting sloths. I mean, they wiped them out. Mm -hmm. uh, or at the Ice Age and the combination of human beings eliminated the megafaunal creatures. But birds, birds, they, they became uh, extinguished when the land bridge was reestablished between South America and North America about three million years ago. So they weren't contemporaneous with, with human beings. Ah, uh -huh. contemporary, uh -huh. not, not contemporary. And what is the, um, what is the fossil forebear of, of this, this giant bird in, in Patagonia and Argentina? Do you know what species it is? Uh, I haven't. Like the, I know in New Zealand they have the, um, what is it called? Oh, I should remember. Um, now I was looking at this, and your, your New Zealand your... has several. New Zealand has yes. several large. They had a large parrot, which mm. was, uh, and they had the they had the they had a, a, a gigantic eagle mm -hmm. that used to hunt the moas. Now the moas were big. Wow, moa! So imagine an eagle yes. that hunted. Yes, yes. I can't remember the name of the species of eagle, but mm. yes, there was a gigantic eagle in um, in New Zealand. These these terror birds are. Uh, Forosacids, three meter, ten feet tall, and five hundred wow. kg, a thousand pounds. Away. Okay, assassins. Wow. Okay. Um, oh, it's taking me to a movie called Four Assassins. <laughs> Never mind. I'll find it. I'll find it later. Um, I, I just think it's you know it, it's just really. I, I, is it? Do you think is it to do with now? You mentioned earlier that the culture has been extinguished, and essentially, most of the legends and words about these creatures that we've inherited um, in the modern world were we've been inherited through the interpretation of European ears and eyes, almost. Now, do you think there could be any link between uh, some of the communities that came in to, to Patagonia? And the legends that then sprung up. So I was thinking about the Welsh community, for example. In Wales, we have an Avvank. And of course, in the, the UK, there are lots of 
um, Kelpie stories and Lake Monster and Se Serpent stories of all shapes and sizes and descriptions. And it kind of reminded me of the proliferation of the Duende uh, legend in not only Spain and Portugal, but in you know Brazil, South America, Central America, and this this pizza effect almost. You know, we export through colonization, through um, invasion, a legend or a similar legend to maybe to a local one, to a, a foreign nation. And then 200 years later, we get fed back this legend that's permeated the local culture. Could could things like the Napolito, could it be based upon some of the, the myths and legends brought over by the European European colonists? Okay, the, the window that you mentioned is, yes, you find it in South America, uh, but it's clearly originated in Europe. Yes. Yeah. I, I believe that most of the myths in Patagonia, however, <coughs> are, are local. Mm -hmm. uh, now, they're local and they're, they're also imported, but from other parts of, of America. Mm -hmm. You have to think that the, the, the group of people that peopled America 15,000 years ago, they shared, originally, it was a small group of people with shared culture and values. Mm -hmm. And they probably had these oral traditions that even probably uh, go back to Asia. That's where they came from. Probably mm -hmm. some Southeast Asian legend refers. And then the similarities, I mentioned them in my book, between Australian myths and, and uh, mm -hmm. South American myths. Perhaps we have it all hardwired in our brain as human beings to think about the same creatures in similar settings. I mean, we think snake dangerous, snake in water worse, because if mm -hmm. you don't swim and a snake in, imagine a snake can swim. And uh, so probably all human beings have this hardwired into, into our systems. And these legends came all the way from Alaska into Southern South America, and they were adapted to the different environments because it, there are many bull and cow legends and myths in, in South America, but there was no cattle in South America until the Spaniards arrived in the 1500s. So perhaps this refers to some wild horned creature in, in Asia. And if you go and you sort, of, you sort of say, well, but they learned about cows and bulls after the Spaniards arrived. Ah. And then this was, like you said, then this was rediscovered 200 years later. Look, mm. they're talking about water bulls. But if you go to the Selknam natives and the in the southern Tierra del Fuego, where they would never saw a bull or a cow ever, because there weren't any, and the Spaniards didn't even go near there. Perhaps every now and then a ship, a whaling boat would go by and stop for fresh water. These guys had, and these photographs of these creatures with horns on their heads. So you say, why, why did they, why did they come up with this horned creature? Wow. So perhaps. Uh, uh, cows or, or some horned being is something that they brought from Asia mm -hmm. or there was I, I, mean, I haven't found any evidence of any cow-like creature or bison or buffalo in South America because the nearest creature that you have with horns is the buffalo in North America the Great Plains mm -hmm. and some references in Central America but none in South America but who knows I mean uh, always bear in mind that this is Latin America it's a poor region uh, archaeology and paleontology aren't funded. This isn't the state. Uh, so when they get some funds, people go to the safe things. They study the Inca, the Aztecs, the okay. Maya. And if you're going to do a dig and you get to the to the depth of, well, this is the accepted date of human beings entering mm. America 13,000 years ago. We're not going to dig any deeper. That's right. <laughs> uh, so now, only in the past, I'd say, three years, as more evidence is appearing, people are sort of saying, hey, perhaps America was people 30,000 years ago. Mm 
Mm. Why not? After all, the Ice Age it lasted two million mm. years. So uh, probably even Homo erectus could have crossed Bering uh, a million years ago, or Neanderthals could have crossed uh, 500,000 years ago, or the Denisovans 200,000 years ago. So uh, now they're just beginning to find some evidence of some footsteps here in a lake in, in Nevada and in, uh, in Mexico in a cave where they think there might be 30,000-year-old evidence of human action. So there's no real in-depth scientific investigation into, into the, an early origin of the Americas. So perhaps, as I said, there's probably horned creatures. They probably originated in America. But I believe they came from Asia. These, these are... These are, how could you say, um, the deeply ingrained myths yeah, in, uh -huh, in, yeah, in the Native Americans. I suppose the description would have changed over time, um, you know, through each passing down of that legend as, as those creatures were no longer existent to the local community, to the next descendant, to the next descendant, to the next descendant, until you have something that looks, you know, could have been a water ball to start off with and now is i mean an actual you know water buffalo and now is some you know, strange creature that inhabits the lake and is rarely seen so there's there's always you know, that possibility now yeah. apart from that you talk about you know, strange out-of-place animals that that are mentioned by local natives who never would have had the chance to see them i noticed that you wrote wrote about uh sightings old sightings of something called the patagonian hippo I thought, wow, Patagonian hippo, and even some of the sketches were, were quite amazing. Um, what, what can you tell us about that? Well, uh, I, I was surprised because I was reading a book written by uh, uh, a Chilean uh, naturalist called uh, Molina, uh -huh. and he wrote, a, a, he, in the, this is the 1800s, in the early 1800s, he wrote about the natural history of Chile. And he mentioned the hippopotamus. I thought, hippopotamus in southern Chile? Surely this guy would have known better. Mm. But that, there's, that's the, the, the legend started there. And I remembered when I was a, a, a child, I mean, I, Jules Verne, where the, yeah. one of his books was two years. I remember the name in Spanish. It was Dos Años de Vacaciones, two years vacation or something like that, two mm -hmm. years holiday, that a group of young children and, and teenagers had been stranded on an island on southern, the coast of southern Chile. And they saw a hippopotamus there. So I thought, I wonder where Jules Verne got this wow. idea of a hippo in Patagonia from. And so it, there must be, as I, and this goes back to what I was saying about uh, the aquatic creature that is a grazing creature. It eats grass and eats aquatic plants. Perhaps there was some South American uh, animal who not necessarily lived in the lake, it probably lives in the forest and is aquatic also, who was a, who's a herbivorous animal and, and uh, not necessarily a hippopotamus, but uh, it could be either a tapir mm. or a capybara. Now the capybaras are, I don't know if you've seen, they're all I over did. South America. They're, they're like a big a favorite in our house, the kids love them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. they're rodents actually, they got prominent teeth and they live in all the, I mean, here, 10 kilometers from home during the pandemic, they appeared out of the islands because nobody was going around. Yeah. The, the Delta, the Paraná River is here close by. And they appeared in mass and they were grazing in the, in the gardens of the Wonderful. people who live by the rivers. So there's, these animals are strong. They grow to be about, I'd say, 100 pounds. They're big, brown, brown fur, br reddish brown fur. And uh, who actually there was remains of an animal similar to them found near the Mylodon cave in Patagonia. Mm. 
big, big ones. And um, so these are aquatic creatures also. Uh, it could be that these were mistaken or interpreted to be some sort of species like a hippopotamus. But the fact is that there are remains of these animals found large rodent-like capybara creatures in Santa Cruz province. Now, if you go to Santa Cruz province now, it's, it's arid, it's dry, but go back to the end of the ice age, when the ice was melting, mm. it was more humid, they were, the forest was, had a larger coverage area, and it, it was a different environment. So it probably had these sort of creatures there in that time. Wow, I mean, it, it's it's astonishing to me, and I, especially the, the legends of the, the Mylodon and, and other creatures like that. The hope, of, obviously, every cryptozoologist has the hope of, of current existence, don't they? The hope that some things could still be there, and I suppose, from the perspective of somebody who's far away, it's easy to envisage in such a pristine environment that some animals could have escaped extinction, and that's a that's a nice thing to. To consider now one thing i'm concerned about very much so is is wild man reports all around the world they seem to be on every single continent except antarctica now when it does does patagonia have wild man reports definitely yes there are all the different native cultures in patagonia have their wild men wow. you know hairy aggressive murderous uh, yeah. they kidnap women children they rape women all, you, all the things you can imagine, these are the wild men. And they, they're also quite primitive, by the way. So uh, you'd sort of say, well, why do they all share this common heritage of a, of a wild man? And that's when I, I started wondering, mm. okay, who could, what would a modern human be in? Modern in the sense of uh, biological, but 15,000 years ago when these uh, human beings, homo sapiens, entered South America, what did they actually find? Was there a pre- human, I mean, our cousins, the Neanderthals, or mm. perhaps even the Homo erectus from Asia, did they come to America? Were they already here? And did they encounter the human beings who were arriving? And was there some sort of conflict between both groups or peaceful coexistence that, like in Asia, led mm. to the demise of, the, of these creatures and we assimilated them, we have their, their uh, part of their DNA in, in, in us? So perhaps this is an origin of, of, of uh, the origin of, 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 of these myths. And you find them in Tierra del Fuego, people living in the d dark forests who had to be, you were fearful of them. And even in, the, in, in Northern Patagonia, which is an arid area, you have rock throwing creatures living in oh, caves. Wow. Okay. And uh, it's, it's, it's quite surprising that these myths, like you mentioned, they're, they're all over the world. So perhaps it, it could be, as I mentioned before, the, it came from Asia. Oh, we met these guys over there in Asia uh, uh, and we carry this story with us and we tell it from generation to generation. Or we did find them in America and they were here. Uh, there's some intriguing stories about sightings of, uh, it's like the sort of the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot in North America. Yes, yeah. Uh, of, of contemporary sources say, hey, we, we, we found some, we saw a hairy monkey, ape-like creature in the 1950s or the 1940s. And well, it, it, it is feasible, it is possible, no doubt, because as you mentioned, one hopes that in, in such a, a pristine environment like Patagonia, you'd be able to find these things. Now, as I said a while ago, it's changed a lot, not in the sense of cities, only 2 million people live here, uh -huh. and Patagonia is oh, wow. the size of 
the UK, Belgium, Germany, uh, Switzerland, uh, Denmark, all put together. So it's okay. a big area, two That's million people. Tiny population. And the, yes, and the people live in cities that dot the coast. So you can go, you can drive 100 miles, in, literally 100 miles in your car, and it's you on the highway and nothing else. Some wild animals, guanaco, you cousins of the llamas. But then again, we altered the environment because we, human beings, Western civilization brought trout, brought salmon. They even mm. brought beavers, beavers from Canada oh, wow. to Tierra del Fuego to, to use them to create a pelt industry. And what <laughs> happened? It didn't work. So you know what they did? Instead of killing the animals, they set them free. Of course. So in Tierra del Fuego, there's no predators, to, no pumas, no nothing, no wolves. The, the beavers are having a heck of a time. They're building their dams all over the place, flooding okay. the forest. It, and now they've extended into southern South America. They left the island, crossed the Strait of Magellan, and they're beginning their colonization of South America. Wow. They also brought uh, weasels, weasels of all animals, oh, and gosh. they also set them free. Bird so these are Yes, so they mm. kill the birds. They kill everything, and they, they're competing against the local animals who are in that same ecological niche. So it's uh, it's complicated. The, it, there's an alteration in 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 the environment, mm. but the forest actually, and the forest is also quite interesting in South America. I've been I've seen forests in Europe, and I've seen forests in Canada and the States, just to mention some. And there's the forests are more alive in in the northern hemisphere because you see squirrels, for instance, squirrels, mm. and yeah, and the squirrels are just because the trees in the northern hemisphere. They have, uh, you have oaks, for instance, uh, uh, you have nut trees, you have different sort of seeds that they, the squirrels can live off. And then you have the whole chain onward. You have foxes that can eat the squirrels and wolves, and you have uh, more deer also, different types of deer. Patagonia, all you have is the puma, which is uh, the American lion, the mm -hmm. top of the chain. You have some foxes, which eat mice. There's a lot of mice, uh, rodents of different sizes in Patagonia. And you have the Wemul, which is the only, uh, Wemul and the Pudu Pudu, two deers. Pudu Pudu is tiny, th uh, one foot tall, and the Wemul, which is very endangered, there's probably, a, I don't know, 2,000 left. They were hunted nearly to extinction. And that's it. There's nothing else. There's no bears, no moose, no elk. I mean, Wemul, Pudu Pudu. It, there's not such a diversity in mammals in, in South America. And uh, the the llamas, the cousin of the llama that you mentioned as well. Okay, the cousin of the llama lives on the on the arid Patagonia, ah. mm -hmm. and okay. they the dry bushes there, and they mm -hmm. were also sort of pushed into not into extinction, but they were the the, the Patagonia when the when the Europeans arrived said, well, what do we do with this now? Uh, all this breed <laughs> sheep, <laughs> so they bred sheep. Now we know. No, oh, okay. They, they eat sheep and goats. They eat everything, and it mm. just. It, started converting the, the, the shrubland into a desert. Yeah, yeah. So now there's a move to revive the guanaco, which is what uh -huh. the Tehuenche used to hunt. The guanaco. guanaco because it you can eat it and it has a it has a wool which you can use to well it's a okay. natural wool and they're not so aggressive on the environment as sheep because they've coexisted in this environment for millions of years. Mm, so it's, mm. Now I definitely would have to blame the Welsh people or the sheep. <laughs> of course <laughs> that's clearly their fault i mean nobody else can take that blame i think there's something like uh 15 million sheep in wales and just over three and a half million people 
So mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, it's one of those crazy places. Um, now, in terms, you know, in terms of that environment that's changed, you know, obviously lots of animals are adaptable, but it's very sad to see, as we've seen you know, over the last two hundred years, in many places, some animals just don't survive. Um, one of the things I was interested in just before we sort of come to a close was the camacueto, uh, the Patagonian unicorn, and you know that seems like a very interesting legend. Again, it's got other representatives around the world that have similar descriptions. What do you think that's based upon? Okay, the Cabahuito is very interesting. And I believe it's based on the one horned, you know, one horned Wemul. Uh-huh. As I said, the Wemul is the, is the deer that lives in the Patagonian uh-huh. forests. In fact, it appears on the national shield of Chile uh-huh. as one of the animals on their, on their shield. So it's, it's important to the culture in Chile and not so much in Argentina because most of the forests of Argentina are just on the border but Chile has a deeply forested area they're working hard to preserve this animal now on some occasions deer have one set of horns instead of two Mm -hmm. I've seen photographs on the internet actually it sort of looks like a unicorn Uh and another thing that's interesting is that this is also mentioned by Chatwin he mentions a unicorn in, in a painted on a cave in Santa Cruz province. Mm-hmm. And I've seen representations of that unicorn and I've seen others also. And yes, it, it, there's, there's some reality to this myth. So the Camahueto, although taken to be something like a bull with teeth and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff, that's a distortion uh-huh. of the unicorn, one-horned Wemul, definitely. I mean, I don't have any doubts about that. So it, it's feasible. And Wemul, you'd say, well, what, what is it doing in the water? Deer swim. I've seen a deer swim. I mean, yeah. I've, 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 I've seen him in the lake. I thought, what's he doing in the lake? And we were fishing with my father in Nahuelhuapi Lake, where they introduced red, European red deer for hunting purposes. And I saw one swimming across a, 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 an arm in the lake, which is about mm. a mile and a half wide. I thought, what? I mean, if I wouldn't have seen it, I wouldn't have believed. But they're I good know swimmers. They do it. Yeah, they're very good swimmers. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So definitely, this is a wemul with one horn, no doubt. And there's depictions of them in the, in the art, rock art. I mean, no doubt. Okay, I mean, it's good to have an answer. And I, I, I talk constantly on this podcast and in, in some of my books as well about monster imposters. You know, it's incumbent upon us in the cryptozoology community to eliminate all of the monster imposters that are known animals, which is more likely, it's more plausible in every situation. Before we get on to the possibly you know, fantastical concept or pos- um, uh, possibility of unknown animals being out there somewhere, but there is a part of me that does want it to be true. And of course, as a lake monster guy, originally Nahuelito, all of these other, uh, or the you know the Patagonian uh, places or that legend, uh, really sits with me now personally of course you know you have to be balanced as a writer but what's your what's your take on some of these numerous places or like uh animals in these patagonia lakes do you think we're looking at you know a large monitor lizard of some kind that's that's um outsized that we haven't discovered so far or do you think there's a possibility of uh you know, a prehistoric survivor inhabiting some of these waters Okay, uh, I believe yes that this, there is a chance, very small perhaps, mm. a chance that some megafaunal animal has survived until nowadays. Patagonia is enormous; the forests are great. I mean, eh, 
it, it's a big area. Not, not many people live there. So there is a very slim chance that some megafaunal animal has survived into nowadays. Um, there's a lot of, as I said, you have to sort of separate some sightings from others because I've been told, oh, look, we saw this creature. And I said, it, it seems to be like a, like a, not, like a beaver. Ah, oh, I hadn't thought about a beaver. Near Porto Natales, mm. there are beavers. It looked like a beaver. Somebody mentioned the other day uh, a platypus in southern Chile. And I thought, platypus, uh, a relict platypus, a monotreme in South America. I don't think so. This is probably, probably, a, probably a beaver, you know? Yeah. It could be. But the plesiosaur isn't a reptile. It isn't a dead dinosaur. No. I mean, I remember when I, I, I was also intrigued by Nessie and, and Loch Ness. Yeah. I read up everything I could about it. I thought it's very difficult for a dinosaur to survive until nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, it's too big, too big. You, you'd see them. I mean, if, if they get a couple of these in a lake, you'd notice them there. It'd be, they'd be there. But a large-sized uh, otter, for instance, uh -huh. or even some tapirs that live in the mountains high up close to the snow line that come down to the lakes in winter perhaps that's more feasible mm. so uh it is some these are stories are based on real animals there's no doubt about that behind every every one of these native myths mm. there's a there's a little nugget of reality that made it, it sprung it, it came to into existence because of this like perhaps seeing a manta ray or a sweet water ray like I said, there's probably sweet water rays in the lakes in Patagonia, originated the myth of the Cuero. But yes, I do believe that there is some animal, uh, but it's very hard to see them because imagine, I mean, uh, when you're trekking along a pathway in the middle of nowhere, you make a lot of noise and any mm -hmm. animal, that's, mm -hmm. uh, they'll run away. I mean, they don't want to have contact with human beings. Wemul, I haven't seen a Wemul, although there's not many of them, I've never had the chance to see a Wemul in the forest. Wow. Uh, they're very secretive creatures. And otters, Patagonian otters, I only got to see them once. Once I saw, but I was very quiet, sitting on the bike, riverbed, and suddenly the otter appeared. I thought, I'm so fortunate to see a Patagonian otter. And it was there frolicking in the water for a while and it vanished. Fantastic. Oh, Fantastic. It was fun. Uh, but it, there's not many animals because as a, uh, the, the forest isn't rich in, in, in food for the creatures. Mm, so. mm -hmm. You have mm -hmm. limited quantity, but remember in the Paleo-Indian period, <clears throat> sorry, 10,000 years ago, there was jaguars in Patagonia. Mm -hmm. Jaguars, and these well, are big predators, so they had to eat something. I, I think, yes. I mean, clearly the ecology has changed over time, and clearly you know, it's wonderful to think um, of these areas possibly, possibly um, hiding a few <laughs> undiscovered animals at this point um you know thank you so much for coming on it's been really amazing i i thank will you. put the the link to the book and your blog as well in the description uh, to the interview but um in case anybody wants to get in touch with you to tell you about citing or to ask a question or even to support your work how can they how can they find you how can they contact well, you, you you can share my email it's austin at gmail.com <clears throat> i will be very glad to answer i, I have a correspondence with many people who read my blog and it's it's always fun to share information mm. and learn new things <clears throat> austin thank you very much uh you've been you've been great oh thank you andy i've had a great time <laughs> i really enjoyed it bye-bye